You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, certified sex and relationship expert Shan Boudram talks to me about cultivating confidence for intimacy in the bedroom and beyond. When you think of the word intimacy, what comes to mind? Do you think about sex or do you relate it more to romance? Intimacy usually means being emotionally connected to someone else, be it your partner, a friend, or even yourself. It encompasses communication, trust, and authentic connection because at its core, intimacy is about what you share. I started out on YouTube because I couldn't find anyone to say yes to me. Essentially, Uh. I talk about a topic that's taboo and everyone's like, I don't really quite get it. So YouTube was really the only outlet that I had to share my message and also to communicate to people like, hey, this conversation doesn't have to be lewd. It doesn't have to be X-rated. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Um, It doesn't have to piss people off. Like it can be the things that sex are intriguing, inviting, sensational, fun, Um, Mm -hmm. along your comfort level, consensual. So I think I had to create the content library for people to see before they started hiring me to do other projects. With over a decade in the internet, video, and podcast space, and almost a million subscribers today, Shan details the trials she endured to get others comfortable with her powerful message and why for her, conversations on sex and intimacy have always gone far beyond just the physical. And in our Sankofa moment, Shan names the iconic couple from back in the day she'd let school her on love and intimacy. At the time, they had a gender non-conforming relationship. I think that they addressed power play in fascinating ways. I think that they obviously weaved work and love in really interesting ways. And that's something that I do with my husband. Hi, Shan. Hi, Ashley. What's up? Do you go by Ashley, Ashley Blaine, ABFJ? <laughs> what's... <laughs> Honestly, I go by all of the things. Um, but I would say right now, most people either call me like Ashley or ABFJ or 
A lot of people call me Bash. Um, I, Ooh, I, I like nickname. that. Yeah. My husband calls me Bash. One of my other best friends, Kylie, calls me Bash. I have a couple of bashers. Yeah. I think there. that choice and name is so important. So I'm pregnant and I'm having a baby. And I always think about, we don't have a name for the second one. But mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about not just the name, but the different versions that you can spin off of the name and the nicknames that could come from it. It's so important. I'm a nicknamer in general, so I love that you're a nickname girl. You're Shan. Uh, I have a million nicknames, as we talked about. I agree. I think that's really important when choosing a name for your child. Like, you can't just call your child, like, their full name. Like, that. You need some flexibility <laughs> for individual expression. Like, yes. um, yeah. And depending on how that person shows up in the world, like, there needs to be some choice. And so some names make a lot of sense if they're going to be a program designer. And some names make a lot of sense if they're going to be a pop star. So you need a name that like encompasses all realities. Yes. So I think what's really cool about us is that I'm a huge fan of yours. I think that you're just Fantastic. And I also just, you're so welcome. I really love, the thing I love most about you, Shan, is how you show up in the world. You're someone who shows up fully and shows up unapologetically and is really, for me, someone who is a reminder of being proud of who you are, um, not being afraid to express your beliefs and what you want for others surrounding you, but also just what you want for the world. And and just as someone who watches you and has watched you for a really long time, I just want to acknowledge you and say that I think that that's really powerful. And I'm grateful to like somewhat be in your orbit, but we've never actually met in person, which is crazy. Can I just say that in a different life, you would have definitely written eulogies? Because if I die... <laughs> And someone said that literal thing about me as my casket was being lowered into the ground. I'd be like, that's a life worth living. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Oh, my goodness. But I just think it's crazy we've never met in person. But we have so many, you know, inner Are you in L.A.? People. I am. I'm in L.A. I well, let's live, figure that out then. I probably live around the corner from you. We probably are like... <laughs> I I live in Northeast LA. So definitely, I mean, I'm at that space right now too, where I've kind of come to a realization that like people bring me so much joy. Um, And so I love being around people, especially when you've got a kid, you're just like, give me adult interaction while I'm doing my kid thing. So let's figure that out. Mm, I love that. We're going to kind of head into a bit of an icebreaker before we really dive, dive in. Where do you go to for joy? Oh, that's a great question. I'd love for you to answer that too. Yeah. Really and truly, um, my, for the most part, I am not somebody who identifies as an empath, which you can look at either way. It's allowed me to be objective. And I think like, even in the work that I do, I'm an intimacy educator, but I take more of like a scholastic approach and like, here's the overall themes and messages. And then I want people to take from that and apply it to their life meaningfully. So I don't even necessarily, I don't do one-to-one work for that reason because I'm like, I'm not here to prescribe for people, you know, what to make sense of things. I'm here to provide information to start discussions. And so um, I look at that as my job. And so with that, I don't look at it as my role on this planet to take on the experiences or try to put myself in the position of other people's experiences. And I found that that is helpful for me in some ways, especially Uh, Because it can be a very sad, heavy world. And there's a lot that you can pick up and carry both on the good side and the bad side. So majority of my joy comes from like my direct experiences and 
people that I know, their direct experiences. Um, and I, I try to keep it insular in that way. And, and similarly, majority of my pain also comes from from those individuals. And not to say that I don't experience empathy or you know pain, but I find that it can be really, especially with social media uh, or with the 24-hour news network that we're now on, where there's constant information all the time. If you set a filter to suffering, because there's so much of it, um, I that I think I appreciate people who have the capacity to do that. I don't think that that I have the capacity to do that. Mm. I wow. remember I read this thing once that was a really simple and poignant explanation of the difference between sympathy and empathy. Mm. Sympathy is looking at someone else and being able to say, that is awful. That is terrible. Mm. Like that must be a horrific thing to go through. Empathy is when you crawl into that person's bubble and into their experience and you Mm. feel it along with them. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. I learned something in therapy recently, and my therapist shared with me that empathy cannot be taught. And I think we are searching for empathy in people oftentimes that are naturally not empathetic. But that doesn't mean that they are not sympathetic. That doesn't mean that they don't have feelings. But to your point about it being somewhat of a superpower, everybody doesn't have it. And I think that we can give ourselves a lot more grace Once we realize that and say, okay, this does not make someone a bad person just because they are not an empath like me or show the same level of of empathy as I do, like it's it's okay. We we all can't have the same tools. You have to have balance. Um, Something else that you said, Shan, that I think is interesting is that you said delving into the empathy is something that's kind of terrifying for you. But I find that to be so interesting because I think people would assume that not much is terrifying for someone like you who literally, uh, you know, makes a living and is passionate about talking about the most intimate parts of who we are. So how do you kind of explain that to me? I think a kind of part of it works together in that I have an audience of collectively over a million. So I feel like if I open myself up for everyone's individual struggles, because this is an area of deep struggle for people because we're not taught it in school, we're often not modeled healthy examples and we don't know where to go to learn. So this is an area that is deeply important, extremely undervalued in the Western world. And then on top of that, there's a lot of pressure socially for you to figure it out, but not a lot of education. So it can be a very tumultuous place for a lot of people. Um, so I think opening myself up to everyone's individual struggles or pains with this 
versus being able to look for common themes, discussion starters, ways to inspire people to become their own expert, which is really my mantra. Like I'm not ever requesting to be like everyone's favorite therapist or the guru on top of the mountain who people go to for like the wisdom that they need. I'm like, no, let's start discussions and dialogues. Here's some frameworks that could be helpful for you when thinking about how you have these conversations intimately in your own life. Here are some questions to ask your therapist. Like I would rather be the person who's providing objective tools and subjectively diving into every individual's experience. Because again, with an audience of so many people, that does seem terrifying to me. Um, and again, like I, kind of knowing your superpower, not your superpower. That's why I always say to people, I'm like, there's a reason why I'm public facing. There's a reason why the work that I do is now and never has been one-to-one because there's a very special gift that I acknowledge that is not my strength. My strength is that I am the anecdote of ox of awkward. <laughs> like I am o- opposite. You cannot make me awkward in a conversation. You cannot make me feel weird. Like I will talk about anything. I will bring up anything. And so I like to, I'm a provocator. I like to just spark interesting discussions. And by virtue of the fact that sex and relationships and intimacy has been so suppressed for so long, it's just naturally a taboo topic for people. And so my gift is being able to inspire people, I think, to do the deep work rather than to Mm -hmm. be the person who does deep work with people. And I feel like my audience knows that of me as well. Like I don't set a precedent where, you know, my DMs aren't open or that I do one-to-one work or that, you know, I call myself a therapist because I am not. I'm a student of psychology and uh, I'm in grad school right now for that. And when I, yes. I when I finish, I will probably look for a title like behavioral psychologist um, versus practitioner or therapist, where I think, again, those are gifts that I just don't think I possess. Mm. I Again, Shan, it's your honesty. I really just, it's so... um. It's, it's, uh, what's the word? It's refreshing to just chat with someone who's so, uh, you're very well-spoken, but you're also just very honest. That's what makes you well-spoken is that everything that's coming out of your mouth is just the truth. And I, I just can't tell you how I just, I'm truly enjoying chatting to you. And even though I feel like we just got started. So tell me, Shan, yeah. So are you on LinkedIn? I, w- yes. Like, okay. I'm on LinkedIn, how I'm on Facebook. I'll say Okay. That. Well, because I'm not on LinkedIn, and I, I'm like, I don't, I'm never, I don't really know what I would say that I am or do on LinkedIn and or how it really connects. I feel very, it, that's like the actory side of me. I'm like, I, I'm just on all the casting websites. But, so, tell me, on your LinkedIn, or if you had, like, the ideal LinkedIn, what would it say? What would it say about you and what you do? Okay. So I am a public facing sex and relationship expert who wants people to be more competent. And as a result, more confident in the bedroom and beyond, kind of like Dr. Ruth meets Rihanna. (laughs) So the reason I have that answer prepared, this is actually a huge part of, again, kind of like that overall arching education I try to provide. I noticed that so many women in particular, especially in dating, fumble the ball when it comes to talking about things that put them in a light of expertise, of knowledge, and of confidence. And so a lot of people don't have a prepared response to the question that you're likely going to get asked, especially in a coastal Mm. city like Los Angeles or a, you know, like a a progressive or democratic city. People are like, oh, what do you do for a living? Like you should have a canned response for that, that makes someone laugh, makes someone interested, (laughs) 
gets people asking you about the thing that you know about best. So whether you work at a water treatment facility or you work as a waiter or you work as a pop star, whatever it is, like you should have this kind of canned response and it's based on three components, which is like, what is your practical title? Like, what do you actually do for a living? Why do you do it? What's the reason? So my what is I'm a public facing sex educator. My why is because I want people to be more competent and through that confident, which I think is very important because I'm never asking anyone just to wake up and feel better and do better. It's like, no, in order to be confident at cooking, you got to know what you're doing. So, (laughs) and then lastly, you want to put it into a, a universe that people get using two unlikely things that when you hear them together, you're like, oh, that makes sense. And that's like an old Hollywood trick, right? Like think speed meets care bears. And the person's like, what? What? (laughs) But I also kind of get that. Um, So that's my plug and play formula that I want to issue out to all of the Trials Triumphs audience as well too, to utilize. If you don't have a canned response to some basic questions you would get asked on a first date or a first interaction, get those, write them down, practice and rehearse them because you're going to be on Bash's podcast one day and she's going to ask you and you don't want to fumble your bag. Oh my goodness. This is like gold. I hope, I truly hope everybody has paused at this point, gone back, written it down, and then resumed this episode because that is absolutely brilliant. And it speaks to why you are thriving in the space that you're in. You know why? Well, you've got to tell me what you do for a living now through, not through that definition. You can do your own, but I want to hear your explanation. Yeah. what, What I would say is that I am a multi-hyphenate who specializes and works in the entertainment industry. And her focus is the lives and portraying the authenticity of Black women first. That's that's how I see myself. I do a lot of things. I'm an actor. I'm a podcast host. I'm a public speaker. I'm a content creator. But the truth is, all of this I'm creating for Black women in mind first. You know what I mean? Like, that's that is who my... That's who I'm thinking about every day. And I'm very unapologetic about that. Every panel, every podcast I'm on, I always speak about that because if if I'm not, then who is? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know that that's what I needed. I needed all the other Black women who came before me to have me in mind in the way that I have the Black women coming up behind me in mind in order for me to get to where I am. Shan, take me back to the beginning because what I want to know is... You are such a conversationalist. You are someone who knows how to have a healthy debate. You're thought-provoking. Where did you learn this at home? Talk to me about Toronto. Talk to me about your parents. Talk to me about the type of household you grew up in and how it cultivated the woman you are today. Oh, 100%. I think what I do for a living came from me, to be honest, because I did not necessarily come from a household or a culture that was encouraging of talking about sex and intimacy in general. That just came out of personal interest and then a response to a lot of the suppression that I experienced and a response to the fact that despite the suppression, I still went out there and made decisions, but because I didn't have a good background information or I didn't have resources to go to, I made pretty bad decisions. Um, So I started my career as a sex educator because I had a really negative time. So it wasn't like, oh, I I had amazing people in my life. So I want to turn around and be that for others. It was like, I didn't have anybody and I made some awful choices. 
And when I decided to actually look to traditional education, because I was just at my wits end, that's when things really turned around for me. So I thought, how can I make this information more accessible to people and more interesting to people who wouldn't necessarily go to a library? But when it comes to being outspoken, like I think like 90% of questions people have about like me as a person could be answered by meeting my dad. My dad is um, a <laughs> wild person. My dad is a one in a billion person people that you're just not going to meet often. He's a very intelligent person. He's a provocator. He loves to start interesting conversations with people. And so I just became very accustomed to that style of communicating with people. Mm. And I saw the benefits of it. I also saw, you know, where my dad, because my dad kind of um, revels in making people uncomfortable. So I was like, okay, I don't want that. Um, I want to have awkward conversations and I want to say the thing people are thinking and I want to invite new perspectives, but I don't want in the end for someone to leave and be like, oh, like that felt weird. So I think I got, my mom is the opposite. My mom is very like, she's the person who's just going to figure out what you love to drink and make it within the first few Mm. minutes. She wants you to feel comfortable. She wants you to feel home. She wants you to feel loved and understood. So I think I got my dad's sort of provocator, forward thinking. And I also got my mom's like, by the end of the day, I still want you to leave here and feel like I enjoyed that exchange. Um, That's the mix. Wow. It's so crazy how we truly are. We're just our parents. Like, yeah, (laughs) like some you might have a little bit more of than the other, but like we truly like DNA just is unavoidable. And it's actually impressive. And it always blows my mind. I always think it's so so, 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 so cool. Um, and shout out to your dad, who you're, you're, you're your dad's twin, I guess, right? Oh, my gosh. Burn. Yeah. Burn and bash. Yeah. No, my dad, we are, we walk the same. We have the same type of energy. What I get most from my dad is that my dad is a connector, but he also is very personable. So I get that from my dad. He is a people person. He's 75 and still has friends from fifth grade. He still goes to all of his high school reunions. Like he's that guy and and I'm definitely that girl. And then my mom is, both my parents are very, very, very intelligent. But my mom is, I get my public speaking from her. I get this podcast from her. She knows how to connect people with thoughts and words and and um and opinions in a way that nobody feels excluded everybody feels included and most importantly everybody feels seen um and i and i think that that's i really really love that about my mom so i'm definitely kind of <laughs> the mix of the two so i want to go to vlogging shan tell me does vlogging seem like a thing of not the past but kind of a thing that like you used to do really heavily and now you kind of have just evolved. Is that what it feels like to you? Yeah, I think it's still heavily a part of of what I do. Um, I think that communicating my experiences and then you hoping that people use that as inspiration to dig into their own is something that I definitely still utilize. And through my podcast, Lovers and Friends, which mm-hmm. is a longer format, it's a topical podcast, I think. Uh, although it's all heavily audio, I'll, I take a lot of visual clips from that to also spark conversation or communicate certain ideals. So uh, from the traditional standpoint of like doing a day in the life of, 
I've never really particularly been, that's never been where I think my strengths are, but um, I think, yeah, video will always be a part of my journey. I started out on YouTube because I couldn't find anyone to say yes to me. Essentially, Uh. I talk about a topic that's taboo and everyone's like, I don't really quite get it. And we're talking about, you know, years and years ago, I've been in this space now since 2009. So a very long time ago, there was no room, there was no space, there was tons of fear. Um, and there was generally like really little understanding as to like how this could provide value and furthermore, how it would not piss off advertisers on more traditional platforms. So YouTube was really the only outlet that I had to share my message and also to communicate to people like, hey, this conversation doesn't have to be lewd. It doesn't have to be X-rated. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. Um, it doesn't have to piss people off. Like it can be the things that sex are intriguing, inviting, sensational, fun, um, Mm -hmm. along your comfort level, consensual. So I think I had to create the content library for people to see before they started hiring me to do other projects. And so now I think my life is a mix of both where I don't ever want to abandon that because that's what gave me my start. And also I love being in total control of exactly what I said. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I'm on your podcast or anywhere else, you know, I don't know what you're going to edit in or edit out. So it's always nice to have a home base where you're communicating directly to your audience in your own words, in your own pace, the way that you know, you know, you want things to be heard. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. So, uh, Shan, take me back to the nose. Like, what? What was that season in your life like? You know, really knowing that what you have to say is important and that there there are people who want to hear what you have to say, but kind of, you know, the gatekeepers keeping the gate locked. Like what what did that feel like and how did you how did you keep pushing through? You know, it's fascinating. I always reflect back on this cuz I love the fact that I made this is why I always make videos too is that I love watching old videos mm. of me expressing myself because I saw a video recently where I was like, you know, people think, because again, I'm public facing. So I was never looking to enter into one-to-one work or the education system in order to educate. I was always like, can I get on a radio show? Can I get on a TV show? Can I join a panel discussion? Like, how do I reach the masses? So in entertainment, uh, people are like, oh, it's an industry of no's. And I was like, I would love a no. I'm in an, I'm in an industry of silence, right? Mm. Like you meet people and then they never answer your emails, right? Or you have a discussion with someone or you go on a meeting or you go on an audition and then it's radio silence afterwards. Like you don't even get the respect of a no. Mm. Um, so that's that the season I think, mm. right. Yeah, that, I think that's the season I was in for a really long time of like not even being worthy of people's time to even respond to. So mm. I think when I got to the place of no's, I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> at least now, <laughs> right? Like people look at me as someone that like is worth the like, hey, just so you know, we're not going to move forward with this. Or, and when you get to the place of explanation as to why, then you can start troubleshooting and figuring stuff out. Um, so it was difficult for many reasons for me. I'm an immigrant. 
um, for financial reasons, because I came here and I left a relationship to come here. So it was like the, the weight of that, the pressure that you feel from people to achieve. I was 30 really at the time that I like really started betting on myself. Like I think before mm. I was always like one foot in, one foot, one foot out. So then I had like all the ageism, you know, kind of commentary going on in my mind. And so I just wanted to be, I wanted to be what everyone else was not to me. The person mm. who actually thought I was worth the investment. Because I remember having those experiences, even like in terms of immigration, like in order to get an opportunity to even apply or go on these meetings, you need to make sure that you can like legally work in the country. And immigrating is very expensive. And I remember the first time that I got that bill in front of me and it was like, you know, $5,000, which is like the Mm. world of money to me. And I was like, okay, if I can't dig deep and say yes to myself and say yes, that I'm worth this investment then I can totally empathize with the other person who I go to for a job who says no to me because they're like, I don't think you're worth the investment. Mm. So that's I always kept in mind too of like, hey, be the change you wish to see in the world. If you want other people, you know, to think that this is something solid or think that you have something to offer, you have to be willing to put your money where your mouth is for yourself, even Mm. if you can barely feed your own mouth. Um, And obviously, you know, things worked out in my story, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. But I always look back at that version of myself and just high five them all day long because, man, I don't know if I would have that stamina today, Uh, but I had a lot of bandwidth for rejection. Wow. Wow. I'm just so happy you're highlighting that because that oftentimes can be the determining factor in, quote unquote, what you consider to be a personal success is you have to decide that you are worth the investment before you can expect anybody else to say the same thing. You cannot be frustrated with others for for not thinking something that you don't even think about yourself, that Mm -hmm. you don't even believe about your own future. It truly is like you have to have the most positive outlook about yourself and about your life and about your experiences. Do you look back now, Shan, at the things that maybe you didn't get the emails, you know, the replies back or that, uh, you know, they said, you know, Shan, not this go around. Do you look back and you're like, wow, I get it now. Thank you for that. Actually, thank you for saying no. No, I'm arrogant. So I'm like, I was great <laughs> back then. <laughs> they, they were stupid. Their loss. I actually um, worked, I, I mentor Winnie Harlow. And she said a thing to me because I remember when her career was first starting, she finished top model. And we both live in Toronto. So we were going around to different like modeling agencies and she was getting all of these no's, even though she had already done something notable. But even prior to that, she'd already like done the circuits. And so I was like, aren't you mad? Like, it just doesn't matter what you do or, you know, how far you, you've, what you've accomplished. Like people are always doubting you because they're trying to, because they can't fit you in a box. And then she was like, why would I be mad? She's like, I look at myself as a train and a train is always going. Whether or not people get on when it makes a stop is irrelevant because the train already has direction. So Mm. you don't get on at this stop. That's all good. You can meet me at the next one and I'll still open my doors for you because regardless of who or who isn't, who is or isn't on board, this is where my path is. And I was like, wow, that's really deep. I don't feel that way about myself at all. Um, And I should probably examine why. (laughs) That's good. Well, in that vein... What are some tips that you could give on self-love and how you've developed a greater self-love practice? I think it's through 
it's, it's, you can love, I mean, there's different levels of, of love, right? But to intimately love someone, you have to know them and understand them and understand their dualities, right? Like I could mm-hmm. just meet somebody and have an experience with them of like, wow, that person's really aggressive or wow, that person is really negative or assertive, whatever, you know, trait that I I may ascribe to somebody I don't have a positive experience with, but to love somebody is to understand how that part of them intrinsically works to power them in really beautiful, meaningful, and unique ways. So I feel like in order to really love yourself, you have to like understand and embrace and name all the parts of who you are. And so I don't think that self-love was a thing that I just cultivated internally. It was a thing that I really worked on. Just like I I worked on falling in love with my partner. I worked on falling in love with my kid. Like I didn't necessarily, I don't, I've never really identified with the feeling of like, even as a mother, like I just instantly loved them. I just instantly mm. felt this love I've never experienced before. Like I had to get to know her mm-hmm. and get to know how myself was in reflection to her and then learn about, you know, the different parts and, and assess them and then develop that bond, that intimate bond that came, that love that came from deeply knowing and understanding somebody and embracing them regardless of how their their pitfalls impact me positively or negatively. So for me, self-love was a journey of getting to know who I am and being cool with what I saw. Mm, that's good. That's really good. Um, just also as a newlywed myself, I think when people get married, you feel this, I didn't necessarily feel this, but maybe even subconsciously, you kind of feel this pressure to like, I don't know, maybe delve deeper sexually, do things maybe you weren't doing before when you were not married. But I think for me, that's not so much what it is. For me, I'm just always looking for other ways to be more intimate with my husband. Not even just sexually, but whether it's playing games. We like all those games, you know, those card games where you can ask questions that are like new and inspiring questions to get to know your partner even deeper. Um, so for me, what, what I'm just curious about as a newlywed is like, what advice do you have for like becoming even freer in marriage as it pertains to intimacy? I love that question. I think the thing about labels um, and marriage is a label. It's a, d- a way to describe what a couple share. And uh-huh. the thing about that is you become it and then you choose the label that describes it. So in essence, by the time you got married, you were already operating as a couple who was going to spend their life together, which is why you decided to like have a ceremony that indicated that to other people. Uh-huh. So whatever you were doing, you just keep doing because that's what got you to that place. So rather than looking at it like, okay, we're married and now we have to start acting like that or increasing our intimacy in order to reflect this label. No, you already, you were married a year, two years before you guys Mm. actually had the ceremony. The ceremony was just like you making it very clear this is what it is. So I would just trust whatever practices you guys did that got you to the altar, whatever pace got you there, whatever tools got you there. And a big part of those tools is curiosity and wanting Mm. to level up and wanting to try new things and being high novelty seeking. So embracing that, that doesn't mean to say that like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it because we're not in the business of like complacency, you know, as we're striving while we're alive, we always want to be inventors. We always want to be creative. And that's the gift and the curse of being a human being, right? When 
other animals have all their needs met. They just lie down in a patch of sun. We're going to like try to figure out how to make our beds into cars and uh, (laughs) rockets. Like that's just, our spirit is not that restful. So I'm not saying that to say like, don't worry about it, don't strive, but instead just be, honor the pace that it got you to that place. Because I mean, that's the success. Wow, that's good. Yeah, I also just think that women, especially in today's society, we can at times feel an extra pressure of having to be everything for a partner, um, having to be as sexually open as possible or as our partner needs us to be. But for me, what I want to know from you is like, I think what's really important for people, but especially for women in a world where proper boundaries are not created for us, how do you suggest that women make space for their own boundaries and really are able to hold on to them, especially as it pertains to their sexuality and their sexual comfortability, whether in a marriage, whether out of a marriage, whether just dating, I love that question. And I'm going to quote another Ashley who you should have mm. on the show, who's just literally one of the most phenomenal speakers I've ever met in my life is Ashley C. Ford. Uh, Ashley C. Ford is like such a light. Um, but Ashley said to me, which is a big aha, is boundaries are not a way to keep people out. It's a way to keep people in. I think reframing for a lot of women wherein we feel like setting boundaries means saying no and disappointing people versus I'm not pushing you out. I'm creating a space for us that I know we can be successful. And Mm. I'm giving you the roadmap and tools to understand how I want to be loved so I can love you back in return, you know, the way that you need to be loved. So I'm doing this for us. You know, I'm doing this because I care about you because the truth is I don't set boundaries with people that I don't ever intend to see again, or I don't really care about, right? Because I'm like, it's not even worth my energy. So the fact that I'm communicating these vulnerable parts and intimate parts of who I am, and I love what you said in that it's not naturally set up for a lot of women. Like the understanding, we know if men work all day, that when they come home, they need me time to recharge. But for women, we don't even necessarily think about me time because we're like, well, you, you always come second. You come second to your husband or to your house duties or to, to work or to your kid. If you have one, like we think of women as nurturers that we like naturally enjoy giving rather than enjoy receiving or recharging. So Mm -hmm. you have to rewrite that script and communicate to people how it's going to benefit them, which also sounds like a nurturing thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that the reframe has to happen where you let go of the fact that, um, putting you first is a disservice to others. And then also where people understand that when I put me first, you actually benefit from that. So trust Mm. me, even though it sounds a little bit backwards, in the end, we'll have a deeper bond, a deeper connection, and I'll be more recharged to show up for you in the ways that I know are meaningful for you and more receptive to hearing that because I won't be agitated or irritated by our exchanges. Mm. Wow. That's exactly what I needed to hear. A reframing of boundaries. Um, you know, I think you're right. Like when people say they're, they're putting up a boundary, it's, it's often with a little hostility. It's like, Hey, I need to set a boundary. It's not just like, Hey, 
um, I'm setting some new boundaries for myself. I love you. I think you're great. It's 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 not the same energy. The energy doesn't have to be, you know, um, filled with angst. It can actually be quite light and freeing and discerning. You know what I mean? Like you, nobody can tell you what your boundaries are. So trust in that. Say your boundaries confidently. Say them with kindness. Say them with peace. And also know that if somebody doesn't receive the boundary that you're, that you're setting, then that's not someone that needs to be in your life anyway. Somebody that really loves you and respects you will respect your boundaries as well. So, Or they'll just be in your life in a different way. I think yeah. that's the reframe, too, of like, if you think of a boundary like putting up a gate, rather than putting up a gate in front of someone, you're putting it up right behind them. Now, if you want to buck up against this gate and you want to go backwards, then yeah, you're in a different terrain now. And maybe we have to readjust how we interact with each other so that I'm not, you know, being negatively impacted by our exchanges. And then that's when that lot, that boundary to keep you in now becomes a boundary to keep you out. But you give that person that option when you actually set the intention. So Shan, what would you say has been your takeaway from our conversation? Oh, what a great question. Um, I think in general, right, just having respect for the different ways. I loved what you said about us not all having to be the same and being able to acknowledge a superpower in someone else without Mm. feeling like we have to become that ourselves. So finding beauty in people's differences and utilizing that and celebrating people for that without being jealous of that. Um, I think that's a really, really beautiful point that you brought up. And I'm happy to have met, you know, someone like yourself. Thank you, Shan. That means a lot to me. Let me see. My takeaway is always recognize when you're in the presence of someone who is teaching you something. Um, I just feel really blessed to be in a moment with you where I feel like I am leaving this with more intellect than I came into this with. That is a gift. It is a moment in time to be celebrated and cherished. Um, And it's a reminder to always keep people around you who can do that for you, who you can have a conversation with, and you're instantly better after it because of the conversation. Um, And that's what you've done for me and what you will continue to do for me as we hang out in LA. Yeah. um, I just think you're really... You're one of the most insightful people I've ever talked to. And I think that oh, that wow. is wow. That's really an insane amazing. comment coming from you when you talk to, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to let you, I'm going to like reserve, give you a chance to take that away once you talk to Ashley. Um, you'd be like, you're in the top 300. Um, <laughs> you had to get bumped off the top 200 list after that. But thank you. Oh, I really, I really value that. Oh, for sure. Well, Shan, listen, I thank you. I respect you greatly, and I really honor you. I'm so grateful that we were able to have this conversation, and I'm just grateful for your transparency. I, I, It's just so refreshing. Well, thank you so much, and thank you to all your listeners for giving space for this dialogue and this love fest that we've had, and I hope they're inspired to have a similar love fest with someone else because this was a great joy. Yes, such a joy. Oh, thank you, Shan. the credits, Shan tells us what couple she'd travel back in time for, 
to learn about love and intimacy from. Stay with us. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lentigua. Its senior editor is Verilyn Williams. Sound designer is Cedric Wilson. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you do, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to ensure you hear the next one. So, Shan, tell me, which iconic couple would you have loved to sit down and learn about love and intimacy from? Be from any time period, anybody. I'm going to say Cleopatra and Mark Antony. They had a really interesting dynamic. They're very interesting individuals. At the time, they had a gender non-conforming relationship. I think that they addressed power play in fascinating ways. I think that they obviously weaved work and love in really interesting ways. And that's something that I do with my husband. So I would love to learn from them. Ooh, that's good. That's a really good one, Shan. Mm. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 